Amen. If you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read verse 18. It is the, the one verse that we will be uh, uh, taking from Luke today, although we will be uh, drawing uh, from a number of verses as we uh, get into uh, the sermon. Again, uh, Luke chapter 16, verse uh, 18, as always, I'm very thankful uh, for Josh and his faithful ministry in my absence last week. Uh, he uh, Certainly the sermon just simply would stand on its own in, in any uh, particular situation. But as I listened to it, I thought, wow, uh, you're, you're, you're really uh, giving us a, kind of a, a bridge uh, from where I left off with that parable of the, the shrewd manager uh, to where we're going to uh, kind of uh, dive and delve into today. Uh, here in uh, verse 18, in other words, we can see uh, the, the flow uh, of, uh, of, of the argument uh, that the Gospel writer uh, Luke is presenting. Now, as we get into the text and uh, the issues that it raises uh, today, uh, as these things have come before us uh, a number of times in, in the course of uh, my pastoral ministry here, as we have... Uh, uh, in each and every year devoted uh, at least a few Sundays, if not many Sundays, uh, to what God's Word says to us about marriage uh, and the family. And I, I continue to, to say this, that we are looking at the most difficult uh, issue that I have faced, that I, that I will face, both uh, as a pastor in applying God's truth to God's people, but also as uh, a scholar uh, in terms of, of doing the correct uh, study and interpretation of the Word of God. There's no other subject, no other issue uh, that, uh, uh, that comes close uh, to my angst in dealing uh, with this issue. The, the texts are incredibly uh, tough uh, to, to, uh, to get and to derive uh, the, uh, the proper uh, meaning. I mentioned uh, about a month ago that uh, I had... Uh, been working on that particular summer sermon for about 50 years. Now, this has been kind of a quickie this, this week. Uh, you know, I've been busy. I've only been working on this one for about 25 years, okay? Uh, but, but I must tell you that even if I say I've only been working on it for 25 years, uh, certainly my observation of all of the issues that flow out of uh, the reality of marriage and also the the fallen sinful reality of, of divorce uh, have, have perplexed me as a young Christian as I would look into the church and see people that I thought were faithful followers of Christ. And all of a sudden they announced, well, we're, we're splitting, we're, we're getting divorced, we're, we're done. And even then, as just a very ill-informed Christian, what, there's, there's something wrong with this picture. There, 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 there's, why, why is it people that I had confidence in in, in, in their walk with the Lord, why is it they're do, doing this terrible thing? And, of course, uh, having really not a, very much knowledge of what the Bible says to us in this matter, and then getting into the complexities, and they are many, uh, in the various texts uh, that we have that uh, uh, cause us, that, that force us to look at the issue. I kind of joked with the staff this week, uh, because as I was listening to Josh's sermon, I was kind of surprised 
that he even mentioned verse 18, our text today. I expected him just to kind of leave it alone. But he rightly and helpfully uh, mentioned it. And I said, well, you know what? Since Josh already dealt with it, I think I'll just move on. Not, not, well, I won't, won't have to deal with it myself. And that wouldn't be very pastorally responsible nor faithful uh, to, to the text. And so uh, let's look, uh, because ultimately, and, I, and, and in fact, I retitled the sermon uh, as I worked on it for the last two weeks, really, uh, from Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage, because that's really not what it's all about. It's about Jesus' teaching on the sanctity of, of marriage. And so that's, that's what we want to, to uphold and, and communicate here. So, verse 18. Jesus' words. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Pray with me. Father, how we thank you for your truth. It is your word. It is to us. It is for us. Never let us think that in the sense that it is for us, it is for us to pick and choose that which it would mean uh, so that it would be for our comfort uh, when we would choose to deliberately misunderstand, when we would choose to rebel against your word. Lord, uh, I pray that we would stand under your word, that we would stand under your authority, and God, that we would rightly divide. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll bless uh, our time here today. We have every confidence, not in ourselves. In fact, we have very little confidence in ourselves. But we have ultimate and final confidence in your goodness, in your sovereignty, and in the truth of your word. May your spirit apply these things to our hearts, to our minds, for our good, for the good of our souls, and for your eternal glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a, a fairly frequent occasion, opportunity, that I will either uh, speak because that's where we are in particular texts, uh, or just because people ask me about matters uh, pertaining to eschatology, to prophecy, about things still in our future as, as a world, as people of God. And I certainly have uh, some, some, some thoughts and, and some text, and I'll say this is what I think. But I always tell people I, I, I'm, I'm willing to stand corrected, uh, that I, I could be close, but there's a reality I could be pretty far off in, in coming to conclusions on how the future will unfold. What I do not lack confidence in is that God will bring all things to their appropriate end in His appropriate time. I believe that. And, and so, uh, as we come to this, I, I will tell you what I think uh, the text is, is saying to us. And I ha I'm very familiar uh, with an enormous amount of literature written by godly men who have the same passion as I do. That is, I want to know the truth. I want to communicate the truth. Uh, they're not in any shape, form, or fashion trying to bend the truth to their own uh, desires or will. But uh, uh, I understand that what I say, I may have to stand corrected one day. My prayer would be, if I am to be corrected, I would be corrected in this life and not stand before God, having stood before His people 
and, and in any way uh, uh, permitted what he has forbidden, nor would I forbid that which he has permitted. Uh, these are very serious, very practical matters. Uh, some, uh, some people sometimes think, well, you know, that doctrine and theology, that's for people like you and other people and so forth and, and so on. And, and, and sometimes maybe there's an occasion that that, that, that that works. But certainly as a pastor, but I would say for you as a church, that we make very real and very concrete decisions about the permissibility of a divorce. Are, are there quote-unquote biblical grounds for this? And, and if indeed there are biblical grounds, do, do you have the, the grounds, the permission Biblically speaking, it doesn't matter what I say. Please understand that. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. What matters? What God's truth says to us. Many of you remember uh, Bobby Shipp and did a lot of family counseling. And one of the things that he would uh, tell, tell families, I'm not on your side and I'm not on your side. I want to be on God's side. That's all we desire, folks. That's all we desire. As we try to, to struggle through uh, life in a fallen world, uh, with our own finitude and uh, dealing uh, with a perfect testimony of God and His infinitely holy and perfect character. So we look at this, we come to this, and if, if you've been reading along at all, and certainly again, as, as, as Josh brought you along uh, last week, you might go, whoa, wait a minute. Where'd that come from? I mean, everything's going fine. And and then he he, he, he throws this in, if... If you're a pinko commie liberal, you know, you, you might go, well, this just didn't, some, somebody writing later just stuck this in there because they were mad at somebody, okay? But none of us are pinko commie liberals, okay? We're, we're, we're faithful believers in the integrity that this is God's inspired and errant, infallible word. It is here because God put it here, and he put it here for a reason, okay? And so it serves its purpose both in terms of, of uh, what Jesus said when he said it, and Luke's purpose. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God showing him, here's the direction that I want you to go, here are the things I want you to include, and here's the things I want you to exclude. And so uh, we have this particular presentation, and at some level it is paralleled by a discussion which we're going to look at more, thir- more closely here in just a few minutes, from Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. Now, please hear me. I think it's probably likely that Matthew 19 and Mark 10 are dealing with, with parallel incidents and occasions. Okay? In other words, they're, they're reflecting the same encounter. I'm not sure about this one. This, this may be distinct. And so what I'm saying is that, that Luke, for his own purposes, chose this. We don't know that Jesus said a whole lot more than this. Uh, certainly he didn't say anything less uh, than, than this. But this is not an expansive teaching on uh, marriage and family and, and, and all of the things pertinent uh, to that, okay? Uh, that Jesus included it in, in, in this time frame and Luke included it because it fit that Jesus is involved or, ha- or was involved in a, a lo- far-ranging, far-reaching, long-standing 
series of conflicts that escalated into these debates uh, with him and uh, the, the religious leaders, no, mo, most notably uh, the Pharisees. And we, you don't have to do a lot of study uh, to find out that, that Jesus and, and, and these, these leaders, they become uh, pretty antagonistic. Uh, Jesus has pretty much had it with, with them, in a, in a sense, and, and, and they certainly uh, don't want anything to do uh, with Jesus. And I wonder, and it was just something that, that we discussed this week, Going back to that parable of the shrewd manager, I wonder if there's a way, and I don't want to shoehorn my opinions into a text unjustifiably. I'm wondering if we should not see the shrewd manager as representing the Pharisees, having been given a stewardship of God's Word and entrusted to to the leadership of, of the people, and they had botched it. And now they were trying to figure a way out to keep their place within uh, the, the, the religious system, within the culture. And so they were, they were fighting and they were bobbing and weaving, trying to figure out, well, how do we keep uh, what we have got? And then Jesus offers this, this very pointed indictment, certainly uh, regarding to money, uh, that, that directly takes us back uh, into uh, that parable. And, and so clearly, he says, you have misunderstood You have distorted and you have perverted the law and the prophets. The Word of God, my testimony to you. You have messed it up. It was entrusted to you and you're going to be accountable for God because of the way you've misled God's people. In fact, he would go so far as to say that, you know, you think you're doing good by by bringing people to conversion, but I tell you this, uh, you make these proselytes twice as much a son of hell because of what you have taught them. And so uh, they, they were involved in damnable heresies uh, with uh, the Word of God. Now, just interestingly enough, and again, we had some discussion on this, and I don't, I'm not going to come down real hard on it, but what struck me as I studied, and again, for the last couple of weeks, because I knew I would not be here this past Sunday, there in verse 16, okay, you have this word about the law and the prophet. The transition from John to Jesus, uh, the proclamation of the gospel, this, this good news of grace. And the question is, there at the comma in verse uh, 16, or yeah, comma, there's a, a semicolon, then a comma, a comma after the word preached. And Jesus says, and everyone forces his way into it. There's kind of a parallel in Matthew 11 about the kingdom of God has suffered uh, violence and violent men lay hold of it. And, and that's an enigmatic text, okay? And I, I remember when I first ran across it about 30 years ago and just being kind of intrigued uh, by that. And so what, does the, what do these, these, these things mean? And are they parallel or are they synonymous? Matthew 11, uh, Luke 16, I don't think they're exactly synonymous. They're very different. But is it that because of the proclamation of the gospel, men are passionately turning to Jesus? And they are now seeking the kingdom of God because they have been born again. And guess what? They see that kingdom now. And they're pursuing it with every fiber of their being. Or, again, thinking of the context, the indictment, Jesus is not saying, you Pharisees are a bunch of jerks. But thank God there are people striving to hear the truth in the kingdom. That, That doesn't seem to fit. What I think he may be saying, and I hold this loosely, tentatively, okay, okay, I could be wrong, but is he saying 
that now that we have moved beyond John and the king of the kingdom is here, the gospel is being preached, and you are trying to strive and manipulate, and you're trying to force your understanding, your perverse understanding of the nature of the law of the prophets, and you're trying to force your way into the kingdom by your own self-righteousness, your perversion of the law, and ultimately, you're not going to be able to force your way in. That you can only enter this kingdom not by your striving to so manipulate the text of God and the God of the text to your way of thinking, so you shoehorn your way in. You will only enter through the new birth. You will only enter by means of the gospel that I'm going to accomplish here at Calvary even within weeks of what is being said here. And so, just putting that out there for your thinking, uh, I, I could be entirely wrong. It doesn't necessarily drive what we're going to say, but it just seems like it, it shouldn't be seen as a positive thing that Jesus is commending those who are striving. He is condemning those who are striving according to their own perverse understanding and their, their own evil hearts to enter the kingdom of God according to their own means, their own standards. Okay, Something that we would still condemn now. Okay, so we get to uh, the text. Jesus... It's teaching, and, and, and again, the gist of it is this. You have undermined the law, you have perverted God's revelation, and you have got so many people messed up that they're going to miss the kingdom of God. That, that, that they are, are, are being led, they're being swayed, uh, they're being deceived, and you're destroying my people because... You're a bunch of liars, you're a bunch of cheats, you love money, and that's what you're after, you're not after truth. Okay? And that is obvious because you have taken what God has ordained for His own glory, for the good of those who bear His image, namely the family, name, name, namely marriage, and you have so undermined it. You have so compromised what God has said that you're doing damage to yourself and you're do doing damage to the people of God. And so you've done it, done damage so, so, so severely that I'm going to illustrate the severity of what you have done by summarizing very quickly how you have denied the sanctity of marriage by your very lax, very loose attitude about the issue of marriage, and the ending of those marriages. And so, if all we had is Luke 16, 18, my life would be far simpler. I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you. And it drives us to how we study the Bible, ultimately how we preach the Bible, and you, you want, when you're interpreting the Scriptures, to let every passage stand for itself. You don't read your presuppositions in. You don't read in your theology. This is what the text says. I'm not going to twist it to make it mean something else. But there's also a complementary principle that the Bible speaks with one voice. Whatever it says in the Old Testament, it says in the New Testament consistently. The Bible never contradicts, okay? The Bible never undermines itself. But the Bible speaks with one voice to every issue that it speaks to. Okay? So if, 
if there are multiple places that the issue of marriage is raised and discussed, and the issue of divorce is raised and discussed, they have to speak with one voice. You can't have Paul saying, well, something's okay here, and Jesus saying it's not over here. That, 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 that doesn't work, okay? And so whatever it says, it says in unison. Okay, it says with, with, with one voice, okay? And so I, that's our goal, and that's why I'm going to go to some other texts. So what we have here is very simple and very straightforward. If you divorce your wife and you marry another, you've committed adultery. Simple enough. So, and, and underlying that is a view that the, the vows, the covenant that is formed in marriage, this one flesh relationship, it endures that divorce cannot separate what God has joined together. Okay? That, that, that that's it. You're, you're married, and, 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 and that's it. And, you, you know, you, you, can't, you can't be involved with somebody else. You can't get a divorce and, and go marry. And, and then Jesus tweaks it, and it's kind of interesting, again, given historical context. Uh, he go, and, and because normally these issues were discussed in terms of what the man would do what he would initiate. And he says, if you marry a divorced woman, you've committed adultery. And again, he has to be saying that in view of what marriage is, then there's no biblical reason that it could ever be uh, dissolved. And so what, let me just kind of outline a couple of things, see if I can get them all in my head correctly and get them communicated. There are those who believe the Bible and stand firmly on the Bible. They're not whack jobs, they're not nutcases, not fringe people that will say that the Bible's teaching is very clear. That God never permits a divorce. And obviously if there's no divorce, what? No possibility of remarriage in, in, in God's eyes, okay? There are those that would say the Bible teaches, yes, there's some grounds that tragically and because of sin, a marriage can be ended by divorce. But because of the nature of the covenant and the one flesh relationship, you can never pursue another marriage, okay? Because that would be, in essence, committing adultery, okay? And then there is a view that uh, says that there are occasions that the Bible points out in which it is permissible for those who want to follow Christ and follow Him faithful, faithfully, they can be divorced, Okay? They can actually even pursue or seek it. They can initiate it. And if that divorce is accomplished, they are then they have a permission to remarry. Again, if they divorce on what we would call biblical grounds, then they may remarry another believer. Okay? Uh, and again, they're not committing adultery. And then there's kind of the view that's permeated the church and, and probably flows out of a, 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 the, at least the initial action of one that many of you might respect. I, I know I do. But while Ronald Reagan was the governor of the state of California in 1969, he uh, signed into law uh, the first no-fault divorce law. Okay? Uh, that is, that instead of divorce being granted because there was some type of grounds, whether it's immorality or abuse or whatever, abandonment, just, ah, eh, we've had it. You know, we stayed married as long as we loved each other, and we don't love each other anymore, so we're just getting divorced. That's just, and so he signed that into law, and, and many states have that type of, uh, of situation. And, of course, the church, what does the church do? We always follow 
the course of the culture, tragically. Or at least so many times we do. We, we derive our theology because what? We want to be relevant. Well, there's nothing that will become more quickly irrelevant than the church's desire to be relevant to an evil culture. Okay? So we, we want to be sure you understand that. Okay? Now, if this is all we had, it's simple. But it's not. So let's go to a couple of texts. Let's look at it and see. I'm not going to be able to say everything that should be said. I'm not going to be able to uh, deny everything that should be denied. And, and on and on it goes. Now, let me ask you this. If you have a question regarding what the Bible teaches or what I believe the Bible teaches, I invite you, as always, to get in touch with me. Uh, now, if you want to get into texting with me or emailing, you need to understand that I think I'm being inordinately expansive. Now, I think I'm pretty expansive standing here. But an expansive, elaborate, and eloquent text for me is yes, or no, or maybe. Okay? Uh, that's just not my thing. And, and email's almost the same thing. I'm not a great typist. And to get people to understand, as I've said, if I send you a text and say you're crazy, you may be deeply offended because I have said something that I shouldn't have said to you. But if we're sitting around at lunch and we're laughing, I say, well, you're just crazy. You get that, hey, it's, it's just, just, some, just a joke, okay? You don't see me smiling and winking by email or text, okay? So, if you have a question, please, and preferably we'll do it in person. Not over the phone, not by text, not by email, okay? I'm not saying I won't do it, but again, to get, get, to get what I want communicated to you in written form, would be very difficult, okay? So, anyway, all right, let's go to Matthew 5. I've taken up a lot of time, a lot more time than I really wanted to, but uh, all right. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what I would call unprovoked teaching on the matter of marriage and divorce, okay? Uh, definitively, what we are looking at in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, is Jesus teaching in response to provocation, in response to a question. And we need to bear in mind that Jesus is not a politician. He's not trying to give a non-answer. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But also, he was aware of the timetable he was on. And he was not going to spring the trap that the Pharisees were trying to trap for him, or set for him, until what? The appropriate time. And so, we just need to be aware. He may not have said everything that might should have been said, and though, or could have been said. He said what should be said. Let me, let me correct myself. He said what should be said, but he might not have said everything that could be said about the issue. Uh, okay. Now, look back at verse 27 of Matthew 5. What's he talking about? And, and notice there, you have heard that it was said. In other words, there are teachers out there and probably y'all in the marketplace, you know, in the streets, you discuss what the local rabbi said. You talk about what the Bible says about this issue uh, related to God's commandment uh, forbidding immorality. And so, 
as he continues, he won't stay. Now, y'all are also talking about this issue of divorce. That, that, that just like in the matter of lust, you are undermining the intent of the Word of God in that you're, you're not thinking all the way through the issue. You think that, it's, that, that, that adultery can only be committed physically. Jesus is saying what? No, you can commit it spiritually and have no involvement physically, okay? And, and so let me tell you something. Legalism and license never stay the same. They always move to extremes, okay? And so, in some sense, if, if you were not physically involved with someone that wasn't your wife, you could say, I'm not committing adultery and be very proud of that, okay? Jesus says, no, 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 no. Just because you're not physically involved, you don't have the license to have fantasies. To, to, entertain, to entertain perverse thoughts. That, that this prohibition, this commandment, extends not just to your body, but to your thought life. Okay? And so, uh, he's, he's elevating the law to its proper place. And so, he goes away from uh, th- that issue, or, it, or really in continuity uh, with that. It was also said, okay? Alright? Now, got, we've got, there's been ample teaching in the course of uh, Judaism, and we have certain texts that speak to the issue of divorce. He's not responding to a question that at least we have in our, in our, in our text. He's just saying that I'm, I'm going to speak to this issue. And so he says, whoever divorces his wife. Now notice what he said. It has been said, no, and that's very important. It's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, uh, we're going to look at the text itself, I think. We have time. And like I say, I'm really running out of time very quickly here. But Deuteronomy 24 speaks to and regulates the reality that was going on among the Old Covenant community, the Jews, that people were getting divorced. Okay? And, and so there were pretty strict guidelines as to how that could take place. Okay? Again, I'll, I'll try to come back to it in a minute. But these guidelines became very broad. Okay? That, that they read into it their particular preferences and their particular attitudes about marriage. And, and so, uh, divorce among the Pharisees, from the evidence I've seen by Josephus, who was divorced, ancient Jewish historian that there was absolutely an open scandal among the Pharisees that they were involved in serial monogamy. That means I'm, I'm married to one woman at a time, but you know, I'm liable to change, change her on any whim. And so they're divorced and remarrying, divorced and remarrying, divorced and remarrying. Okay? They believed that, and they were doing that. Okay? And Jesus says, no, 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 wait a minute, no. You, you're, 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 get, you're, you're not understanding. And so he said, now this is very similar to what we have in Luke 16, except for what? Okay, let's look. Verse 20, uh, uh, thir- uh, 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, and no- notice the commas there. That's what typically is referred to as the exception clause. Except on the ground of sexual immorality. Okay? And then he goes on, makes her commit adultery which is kind of, in what sense? By divorcing her, 
by, by causing her into prostitution, by forcing her to get remarried, so she have a, a lot. How, how does that, how, what, and again, I'm already digging holes deeper than I can dig myself out of. But you see what it, the exception clause, that is, now, the exception clause is for immorality. And the, the Greek word for immorality is pornea. You ought to recognize that. That's where the English word uh, pornography is, is rooted. And there's very right scholarly discussions as to what type of immorality that is. When you see the word adultery at the end of that text, that is a different Greek word, wakia, which typically referred to something post-marriage. Okay, post-marriage. Now, some would say that our first word that's translated as sexual immorality, pornea, refers to unchastity prior to a marriage. And if that was discovered, you could divorce. Okay? Uh, some would say, and, and I hope I can touch on this in a minute, that it has to do with marriage within forbidden blood ties, okay, what we would call incest, okay, that, 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 that that's the, and, and I have not been convinced that it has that narrow a meaning. It seems like it's a fairly broad word used for different types of inappropriate physical intimacy, okay, is, is what I, I think that it, that it means there, okay, and, and so, um, so you have Jesus in some sense, at least as we understand it, and kind of a straightforward reading, that if there is within a marriage one that has violated that marriage covenant by immorality, that he would grant permission for divorce. Something that is not in this Luke 16, 18 text. And again, they've got to speak with one voice. And, you know, <laughs> like I say, read the scholarly material. Okay, and they go back and forth. Which one is ultimate and final? Which one is clear and which one's not clear? All that. Okay, let's move forward. Matthew 19. Now here, what we have, and I'm very tempted to appeal to one of my favorite movies, we have a failure to communicate, but uh, I'm not. And it, obviously the Bible communicates exactly as, as God has ordained that the Bible communicate. Here we do have a provoked response. This is an answer to a question that he is being asked. And we know that the Pharisees in asking these questions of Jesus have ungodly, unsavory, illicit, immoral desires to destroy Jesus Christ. Okay? They are trying to entrap him uh, within uh, this particular uh, issue, okay? And maybe perhaps lying in the background is the civil background involving uh, Herod and his uh, sister-in-law Herodotus. And that's what got John the Baptist's head caught off. And so if they can get Jesus to speak against Herod, we've solved our problem. 
if, if he says something that, 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 that Herod has an illicit marriage because of it being immoral, then Herod's going to get real upset about it and we'll, just, we'll solve this problem. So maybe they're trying to provoke him in that direction. Maybe they're just trying to get the people divided up. He, he seems to have a lot of loyalty, and, and, and so we've got you know, different, different, several different opinions, and, and at least we can undermine the base, so to speak, divide the base. So they ask him, look at verse 3. We're in Matthew 19 now. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, Remember a minute ago, I mentioned the Deuteronomy 24 passage. If you'll turn there, I, I want to say just a couple of words about the background there, if I may. This was an on, the, the nature of what was permitted and regulated by Moses was greatly discussed. And by Jesus' day, there was at least two kind of predominant uh, schools of thought about this issue. Uh, one followed a rabbi whose name was Hillel, and one followed the thinking of a rabbi whose name was Shemaiah. And Hillel held, or let me do, Shemaiah held first of all that the only grounds for permissible for divorce was immorality. Okay? That was it, period. End of subject. But in appealing to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency. That phrase in Hebrew is erwat debar, erwat devar, something along that line. It is used in Deuteronomy 23, for human waste, and that God commanded that the nation of Israel have their bowel movements outside of the camp. I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, uncolorful, you know, uh, uh, trying to offend people, okay? I'm just saying that's what God commanded. Why? Because I'm the holy God, I walk among you, and this is a detestable thing, so you do it, and you cover it up. You take a spade with you, and you cover it up outside the camp because you're a holy people, okay? And so that Erwat Debar is used to describe that particular thing. And so the debate became, well, what does it refer to? Is it immorality, or is it just anything that causes a wife to not find favor in the eyes of her husband? Now, where is the culture going to go? Where is a male-dominated culture going to go? Are they going to take a very narrow view only in the case of physical immorality? Or are they going to say, well, listen, let me tell you something. She burned my bagel for the last time. That's it. She, 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 she did not have my dinner on the table for the last time. She, she wanted to watch, you know, as the world turns, and I wanted to watch a football game for the last time. Time. We're not going to have that debate any longer. So, the Hillelites, whatever, any cause. You saw it back in the question. Is it legitimate to divorce your wife just because you're ticked off at her? You're tired of her? Don't look at me spiritual. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
Is, is, is it legitimate to, to do that? Okay? And, and the Hillites even went so far about 50 years after Jesus, hey, if you find a woman that's, that's prettier, just divorce the first one. Seriously, I'm not, that's, not making that up. I think his name was Akabah, something like that. So you find, find a prettier girl, this one's beginning to look kind of homely to you, divorce her, send her out. Now, in the ancient world, this really wasn't much of a legal proceeding. It was, I divorce you, and to my knowledge, all the Jewish divorce certificates had on it, I divorce you, you're now free to marry any, any man. Get out of my house. That was it. That was it. You're gone. You're out of here. You're history. No, that's mine. You can't take that. No, that's mine. You can't take that. No, that's mine. No, just get, you just take your clothes and get out of here. That's it. And for sure, interestingly enough, this legislation in Deuteronomy 24 said, you better think about it, because she goes out and marry, which was her right under that particular legislation, and something happens with the second marriage, you can't take her back. That's what's forbidden, okay? Which brings a whole interesting question about the nature of the covenant, okay? And if the emphasis for the church is on forgiveness and reconciliation, even when a partner errs by immorality, it wasn't even permitted in the case of remarriage here. That you couldn't take your wife back if she went out and married somebody else. If there was an intervening spouse. And so one of the huge questions we have to ask ourselves is to what, what degree does a third person involved in the intimacy of a couple? Does everybody follow what I'm trying? I'm trying to be very delicate. Okay? To what degree does that impact? To what degree, if any, does it impact this covenant relationship? Okay? Does, does it destroy it? Does it annul it? Does it do nothing? Because Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 6 that he who is joined to a prostitute has become one in body and refers to this one flesh relationship. Now nobody that I know of has ever interpreted that for Paul to be meaning if you're involved with somebody that's not your wife in a physical way that you're married to her. Because a marriage is be, is, it's not less than the physical relationship, but it is more than the physical relationship. And the physical relationship is essential, biblically speaking, for there to be a marriage. Okay, sometimes we refer to that as the consummating uh, the marriage. Okay? So our question then, is the covenant unbreakable? Does unchastity allow for that? And then what are the implications? Can that person who has been wronged, who sets that wife aside, can he remarry without being guilty of adultery? It's a big question. Now, again, we never want to forbid what God permits, nor what. We don't want to permit what God forbids. Both of them are devastating to the people of God. And as I say... At least I have to make really concrete decisions about those things, okay? And this, this is not Tim trying to figure out how many angels dance on the head of a pen. I'm not shooting spiritual spitwads on the wall seeing which ones stick, okay? This is, this is serious business, okay? 
Now, so, back to Matthew 19. Y'all sure have ran out of time quickly today. So they're asking him, they're testing him. Here's our view. We're following Hillel. She burns the bagel, she's gone. Yeah, I've had it, okay? What did Jesus do? He appealed to God's intent for marriage. Very important. If we say anything in the church, what is our stand? What is our goal? That the priority and the permanence of marriage be preserved. That we take this very, very seriously, okay? And so Jesus said, y'all are debating about something that, that, that God allowed for whatever reason, but it, but it was because of your sin. And, 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 and so, yes, he did regulate. But, but you're all hung up about all of this, and you're debating all this uh, uh, ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And I want you to, you're thinking, you're, you're, you're beginning your thinking at the wrong place. Okay? And there, there's a way in Jewish thought that that which is older is better and more authoritative. You remember, I know you do, because I've taught on it. In Hebrews, the whole, Jesus is a, from the superior order of the order of Melchizedek. Why is that a big deal? Jesus wasn't of the Levitical priesthood. He was of a different priesthood that preceded the establishment of the Levitical priesthood under the Ten Commandments, under the law, under Moses' day. Abraham lived far beyond, far longer, a long time before Moses appeared on the scene. So Jesus is a superior priest because it's an older order. Okay? So, yeah, you got Deuteronomy. But this is what was from the beginning. This is God's intent in marriage. Okay? And so, he appeals to that and really defines, biblically speaking, what a marriage is. Now, hear me. Notice where he begins. God created. So whatever's going on is God's design. It's God's idea. It's God's doing, as John Piper says. Okay? And it begins with what? Male and female. Folks, people can talk about this type of marriage that's being popularized in our culture today between those of the same gender. It ain't a marriage. It doesn't begin at the biblical starting point. That's why we can't agree. Say it's okay. Everybody just kind of needs to do what makes them feel good and what makes them happy and all of this. Okay? Again, I may have said this already, but when we do pastoral care and we want to do pastoral care, all pastoral care is done in the context of rightly dividing God's Word. There is no pastoral care apart from that. In other words, I can't look to those who want to marry the same gender. I can't look at them and say, I know this is what feels, makes you feel good, this is the way you, God made you, and this is what's going to make you happy, and just because I'm your pastor and I always want you to be happy, it's okay. No, no sir, no ma'am. We can't do that. I have to confront them with the reality of the sin. Okay? I cannot affirm it in any shape, form, or fashion. So, begins with male, begins with uh, female, and God's design, and then he goes through, well, there, there's, there's a leaving of the, the parental household, and there's a joining uh, to, the, to the wife, and, and ultimately they become uh, this one flesh entity. And, and all of this language from Gen Genesis is covenantal language. 
If you go back and explore the covenants of the Bible, it is, I'm entering into a contractual type of binding agreement with somebody that is not my flesh and, my, my, my flesh and blood, that is my parents or my brothers and sisters. I'm selecting someone from outside of that, and I'm entering into a covenant in which there are obligations, there are stipulations, there are prohibitions, and it is binding. Okay? So that's where he's going with that. Okay. So he appeals to the creation order, and so they, they're not content. Look at verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Key word there, command. Moses didn't command it. Verse 8, what? He permitted. He permitted. Now, just my thinking, and I'm just, I'm just going to have to wrap up. I mean, I, we're, we're way past time, and I apologize. Tough issue. If Moses, this is tough. I mean, we have a a Bible that in some sense doesn't prohibit slavery. It actually regulates it. We've got to deal with that. In other words, we would say that slavery is an absolute abomination. It's sin. We don't regulate it. We abolish it, rightfully. But that gets back to the difficulty of interpreting text and their context and their meaning and their applications and so forth. But my initial and ongoing response to this is Moses should have said, there's no such thing as divorce. You just can't do it. End of subject. End of subject. But he didn't. And so there was a permission always allowing for remarriage. If there was a divorce, permission to remarry because in some way that covenantal obligation was destroyed. Now, if you want to go look at something interesting, go look at Exodus 21.7 and following. It's having to do with a female servant that's taken for a wife, and it defines what the husband is obligated to provide, which gives us maybe some insight into when those things that are commanded to be provided within the covenantal relationship are not provided in the covenantal relationship, what might be grounds for what we're talking about namely divorce and remarriage. So, now, again, this is not going to have time to get into it today, but I encourage you, go look. So, um, appeal to the creation order. Well, what about this? Jesus said, verse 8, because of your hardness of heart that you were allowed to do this, you were sinners, it's sinful. Divorce, listen to me, divorce is always rooted in sin. Somebody's sinning. Does everybody get that? There's no, I'm just not happy, it's okay. I'm not saying, usually it's both people involved, but somebody is sinning, okay? Somebody is forsaking the vows, the covenant that God has established, okay? There's no such thing as, eh. Y'all heard me say how many times have I told you? Somebody comes in, well, I'm just not happy, I want to leave. Well, I don't care if you're happy or not. It really has nothing to do with being married. That's a little harsh, I know, but anyway. So, Jesus continues. He allowed it. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, there's our exception again in verse 9. Except for this cause. Okay? And so, if you, if you read both of these verses that have the exception on it, in it, and you take them out, then you've got the immorality, the adultery indictment. So, if you unjustly divorce your wife and move on with life, indeed, you're guilty. 
But if indeed you divorce that wife for cause, for biblical cause, namely immorality, then there's a permission to remarry. That was that again. That, that was the Jewish context. Okay, and so now the problem with dealing with cultural issues. We have an inspired and errant text. We have no inspired and errant studies of the context. Okay, we have the text. So we need to be, be careful there. But that's that's what I understand was going on, and the the disciples are shocked by this. They're like, "Whoa, wow, this is tough. This is big." So whatever he was saying, they understood it as, mm, if, 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 if marriage is this kind of deal, I don't know. Jesus comments for, let me, I'm going to have to move and, and just, we many times, and I've told you before, in John Piper's writing, the, this momentary marriage, it so helped me as he exegeted the great reality that marriage is a picture of Christ in his relationship to church. And in those difficult days with a terminally ill wife, and again, please understand, I loved her. I wasn't leaving, folks, okay? I'm not. But it made me appreciate I'm doing something really important here. Far beyond just I love Dale. Far beyond that, but I'm proclaiming the gospel. And that was big. That was great. I mean, hell, I mean it just really gave me a strength and an energy. And I'm thankful for it, okay? And so, it's often argued, Christ will never forsake His bride. I get that. That's a good argument. But, Christ can do some things to the bride that a husband can't. Okay? Namely, He can kill them. Now, I know, I'm not even going to go there. I won't even do that. But He can. Now, remember too, the penalty for adultery under the Old Covenant was what? They didn't need divorce. Adultery was, was kill them. Now, it seems like everybody says that, that didn't happen a whole lot from what I can gather. But anyway, so you've got that. Oh, God's relationship with Old Testament Israel. Jeremiah 3, 1 through 8. God divorces Israel. God divorces Israel for cause. And again, if you want to read into what Paul... 1 Corinthians 7, 15, and all that business, abandonment. I, I can't go there today. I apologize. But Israel, in their immorality, abandoned God. Both and. And I would say all immorality is abandonment. Okay? So you've got those. Let me just make some conclusions. The biblical standard is stated in the creation order. That is God's will. There's no such thing as... Well, I'm married to the wrong person. No, sorry. No, doesn't work. That's God's standard. Jesus and Paul, whatever they said, appealed to the creation order. Whatever they allowed, okay? So, you've got that. We, my position, is that the marriage covenant can be violated and hence severed by divorce because something happens in immorality. I'm not even clear on that. I've got to think more about that, but there's something significant that takes place in that. Therefore, divorce is permitted in that case. I believe 1 Corinthians 7.15, Paul allows for uh, an unbelieving spouse if they choose to depart. The believing spouse is not required to chase them all over the world and try to get them to stay with them. And it seems like he's saying, you're no longer bound, you're free. seems like he's mimicking what was in the Jewish divorce certificate, you're now free to marry 
whoever you choose. Okay? So that, we always encourage reconciliation. That's our goal. But it seems like at least in those grounds that there can be divorce, there can be remarriage, and our responsibility, again, is to care for people, to, be, to, 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 to minister to them with the Word of God, to challenge them, to, to seek to elevate marriage to, to what it is and, and to emphasize permanence. Uh, those that would get married, hey, this is, this is final, this is permanent. To those that are married, this is ultimate, this is final, this is permanent. And, and, and whenever there's immorality and divorce or wh- even whatever, listen, divorce is a consummate disaster, okay? Children so many times go sideways because of what? Because of divorce. So my, my encouragement is to stay together, but I think there ultimately are grounds that permit this. Uh, therefore, remarriage. I'm sure I'll be studying this for the next 25 years. I, I hope, hope I haven't offended people. I hope I've rightly divided. Period. Period. I hope I've rightly divided. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, your word. I pray that we would live under it, never stand above it. God, may we live illuminated by your Holy Spirit, strengthened and encouraged to do that which you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.